This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Hello, and welcome to Beltway Banthas, a Star Wars podcast live from the hive of scum and villainy in our very own galaxy, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Stephen Kent, and I'm flying solo today because we are going to share with you a broadcast that was taped over the summer for Beltway Bantha's patrons with Ross Douthit of the New York Times. He is an opinion columnist with the Times, and I actually had the pleasure of crossing paths with him in Las Vegas for a conservative conference uh, called Freedom Fest, and he gave me a little bit of time in between sessions to talk about his past writings uh, and opinions that he has shared on Star Wars. Ross Douthit is no stranger to breaking the internet and sort of melting down Twitter for a couple of hours with his opinion columns in the New York Times, and he frequently touches on pop culture uh, and Star Wars as a big fan. He's led a lot of conversations about the Star Wars franchise and its politics on social media, and we got a chance to talk about a little bit of that and his fandom as it has evolved throughout his life. Now, this conversation kind of covers his views on family dynamics in Star Wars, what sort of messaging and ideologies inform those characters, and also what makes Star Wars successful, and conversely, what maybe does not. This podcast is very invested in positive fandom and loving on Star Wars. We don't like to try to engage in a lot of negative chatter, but there's a little bit of that in this episode, and I would extend a little bit of graciousness. We're both kind of having fun, and while we believe in positive fandom on Beltway Banthas, we also do not believe in being sycophants or, or showing love to aspects of Star Wars that we don't actually love just for the sake of it. So you're going to get a little bit of that throughout this episode. Just a little disclaimer. Now, the reason we were not able to do a full-length episode the way that we prefer uh, on these normal Thursdays is because Suara and I are both in the midst of moving. Suara is moving out of a little DC suburb called Crystal City and into the big hive of scum and villainy itself, Washington. And I am actually moving away from the Beltway. I am returning home with my family to Raleigh, North Carolina. I'll continue doing all the same work that I do, which is very exciting. I'll just be working from a different location in my home state. So yeah, that we just could not figure out a time to tape this week uh, with all the things that we've got in boxes. I'm moving Friday morning and Suara has to be out of his place on Saturday. So uh, extend us a little bit more mercy on that account. And I think with that, I'll get out of the way and we can cut to Ross Douthit of the New York Times having a conversation with me in Las Vegas for Beltway Banthas. Ross Douthit, welcome to Beltway Banthas. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, we are here at Freedom Fest in the not-so-quiet and reserved press room. Sorry, audience, for all of the chatter that's going to be going on in the background today, but it's really nice to talk to you. You are a Star Wars fan. You write uh, quite frequently, it seems, about the Force and politics. Um, I was digging back through some of your back catalog before this conversation today, and it seems that you've got some feels about the wars. I do. I do. A few here and there. When did you first see Star Wars? Where's your origin story um, for this saga? So I I saw it in a really strange way. I I saw the first 
two, um, Star Wars and Empire. I, grew, I was born in 1979, so I was too young to see any of them in theaters. So I saw the first two when I was like five or six, and then I didn't see Return of the Jedi till I was like 12 or 13. We didn't have a VCR. My younger sister was born. We sort of stopped seeing movies. So I had a big gap between my... For a long time, I didn't know, you know, didn't know what happened to Han after he was yeah. frozen in carbonite and all the rest. Um, but I was a big... You know, I mean, on the scale of Star Wars fans, I wasn't like the biggest, mm -hmm. but as in sort of the nerd world, I was definitely a Star Wars over Star Trek guy in high school. You know, I read not all the way into the extended universe, but I probably read, you know, 12 or th the first 10 or 12 books that came out, starting with the Zahn trilogy. Yeah. Um, place, and then, place, and then the, the timeline a little bit. How old were you when the prequels came out? Oh, uh, the freshman year of college. Okay. So I was 18. Um, so that was, that was probably the peak of my Star Wars fandom. And then, you know, yeah. sort of disappointment since have made it decline. So you were able, you, you, you consider, you know, the Phantom Menace comes out. This is a really high moment for you. Oh yeah. We were down, there. We were there. I was there with my, there. oh yeah. Opening night. Yeah. With, I, I don't, I didn't wear a costume but you know i was with people in costumes yeah. that that kind of thing and my, my kind no, of people. I, I would say the downhill was really i i practiced a lot of denial about the phantom menace yeah. like i walked away from it saying okay not great but you know b plus i like certain things about it i think it's setting things up well and it was really with attack of the clones that i sort of acknowledged how bad the prequels were. Attack of the Clones, I've seen your listing of the movies. It sits down at the bottom. We share that. Attack of the Clones is just... Sand. Um, without it's like a sand. question, it is the hardest movie to watch. What I struggle with is that it's my daughter's favorite, so it's the one that plays the oh, most often in my house. Wow. It feels sort of like a personal attack. How old are your, how old's your daughter? She's seven. She's seven. She's seven. She, yeah. just, she just loves it. I, I think it's probably because it's visual overload. It and is that's what kids overload. are into these days is as much strong visuals as yeah. possible. See, I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm not showing my kids the prequels. You're not, that, that's, seems, that's, that seems wrong, though. <laughs> does it? Or does it seem right? Do, do you have any? I don't own them. Okay. No. No, they've they're seeing they, you know, look, it's it's like a lot of things in life. When they're adults, they can make their own adult choices, but as long as they're under my roof, they're watching the first 3, 18 and, 18 and, and older. 18 that's, and that's older. All. The first 3 in Rogue One are that that I will acknowledge those as canon and then the rest they have to do on their own time. Yeah. So, I you're listing, tell me if it's changed at all and maybe we're solo factors into it, but you've got Empire at the mm -hmm. top, mm -hmm. Star Wars a New Hope, mm -hmm. uh, Return of the Jedi. Rogue One, The Last Jedi, Force Awakens, Phantom Menace, Revenge of the Sith, Attack of the Clones. That is your top to bottom. Where do you think Solo factors in there, and has there been any change in the way that you view your order? Um, God, there are so many of them now. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know what happened. Uh, so the two things, right? So, so the one change potentially is that I've been sort of radicalized by internet wars over The Last Jedi, where I'm probably more critical of it now than okay. I was when it first came out. Um, I think that it, it can... My view of The Last Jedi is that it has things in it that are much more strikingly original and interesting than anything in The Force Awakens, which seems to me like just literally a beat-for-beat -beat remake of A New Hope. So in that sense, that was sort of my thinking and placing it above 
um, the Force Awakens. But my problem with it is that it it's you know the all of the political stuff, um, which is stuff as someone who writes about politics that I'm mm-hmm. interested in, the sort of not geopolitics but galactopolitics, is just terrible, ridiculous, and sort of you know undercuts um, basically sort of all of the catharsis of um, Return of the Jedi and the end of the original trilogy, where you, you know, you you have this sort of restored republic that is destroyed, you know, by a couple of super weapons, and it's back to, like, you know, where we were at the beginning of The Empire Strikes Back, mm-hmm. only more so um, in the space of, in the space of a, of a single movie. Um, and all of the attendant stuff is, you know, is pretty dumb. Um, and so... And then there's this, you know, fierce online debate where criticism of the there's tons of criticism of the Last Jedi, but then it gets it criticized in turn for being sort of toxic fandom, right? Like sort yeah. of, you know, alt right guys who can't deal with the fact that Star Wars has a multicultural cast or something. And obviously there's there's some of that, but you know, The Last Jedi is a totally unsuccessful movie in the end. And to the extent that's true, I've watching people sort of defend it. Um, on the grounds that you know the only reason you would dislike it is because you're sexist, that makes me dislike it more. So now I've probably dropped it below. The I Force think I, Awakens. I think I can relate to a couple aspects of that. The Force Awakens. At first, I liked it. Then it sort of went downhill. It did not age well. I was like, okay, I get it. This was really just a packaged Star Wars movie made by a focus group. But then I think The Last Jedi then made me like it more. I went, okay, that's what Star Wars is supposed to feel like. It's right. supposed to make me feel this way. And The Last Jedi, while I find it to be more bold, I guess you could use that word, yep. I still just don't know what it is, and I get bored watching it. And I don't know what to do with that. Um, and I think then it falls back into the toxic fandom thing where it's like, no, can't talk about this opinion that I have because you know it might mean something about me, right? Um, but it, I don't really know. What I to mean, do there with are people, that. and there are people who are. Yeah, there's clearly the toxic fandom stuff is real, and some of the things like I don't mind the Last Jedi's treatment of Luke as sort of yeah, you know either. dark and disillusioned that some people hated, including Mark Hamill. I thought that was pretty Folks good. Folks never get old and cynical, yeah. you know. Right? That's, that's we've no, never it's heard totally, that story it's to- before. And, and Luke is Luke, <laughs> Luke, and you know, Luke, Luke has you know he's sort of a somewhat damaged figure already in Return of the Jedi in sort of interesting ways. And I, I thought I thought that character evolution was plausible. And I really like... My favorite thing in the new movies is Kylo Ren. I think. Yeah, you've, you've, you've really heaped praise on the dynamic between Kylo, Rey, and Luke. Because like, yeah. that's what makes that movie work. And I agree, like those scenes for Skype... Or when I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying the Last <laughs> Jedi the most. It's the it's the military stuff where I'm like, oh my gosh, make this make this wrap up. Yep. So what was so appealing to that dynamic about uh, Ray and Kylo that really invested you in that part of the movie? I mean, I, Ray, it's it's you know, it, I don't think she's as strong a character as Kylo, but I think Daisy Ridley is a good actress who is sort of charismatic and likable and and appealing, and I I, just, I think she sort of works at a kind of you know, basic level as a sort of relatable heroine. Um, Kylo, I really like because I mean, I think in certain ways he's what um, what Anakin Skywalker should have been in the prequels. Like yeah. you're getting a an actor sort of portraying the intersection between like sort of an adolescent personality and the Force, mm-hmm. basically. Where you know, it, it, where it's someone who is in a way that Hayden Christensen, I think, totally failed to pull off. Sort of clearly conflicted between 
you know, the dark and the light um, and has all these interesting family issues and so on. And I'm also, I like Adam Driver. I think he's, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of, uh, I'm a fan of girls, um, <laughs> the HBO show uh-huh. that he was on. And, and I thought, I, th- I think he's just, he's someone who's sort of, he commits, you know, he's sort of, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's not afraid of looking ridiculous, which is, I think, a useful there are thing in an actor. when I rewatch The Last Jedi, they're just, you pick up new facial expressions from Adam Driver every time <laughs> you watch the movie. His face is very expressive. He makes all these little, just like subtle quirks of his face, and you go, wow, I didn't notice that the last time. Um, he's just very layered, and I definitely appreciate that about him. You, uh, you seem to, to gravitate towards that tension between Ray and Kylo, that there's actually like a little bit of sexual tension going on in that oh, relationship. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There. Why do you think half of Twitter denies that there is that kind of tension? It's considered to be a controversial point of view. Um, I'm, why, think, why, think, do you th- why do you think that is? I'm not, I mean, well, I, I I'm for, not sure. I forget which wave is which, but different waves of feminism and describing sort of a heroism to Ray that then can be coupled with an actual um, sexual identity and a, a, a seeking for something that Kylo Ren, a dark and broken, uh, bratty right. young boy, could possibly fill a, a desire void in Ray is an affront to certain brands of feminism here that we deal with in 2018. And so I yeah. think that it, it's, that could it's, be. it's kind of strange, but I, I found it to be a part of the movie that's more interesting. No, and it's um, sort of, and, and that's I mean, the, politics the actors sort of, have sexual chemistry, and I mean, the you know, I mean, they didn't also, have to touch also, hands in the, the Star Wars, also, well, yeah, and and they, you know, the, I mean, the the couple that you know kills Imperial guards together stays together, right? I mean, that's there's there's that side of it too, yeah. but also, I mean, these movies, you know, you that that sexual spark is key to what makes the originals work. Like Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher have sexual chemistry, and that's like a core part of the tril- the the original trilogy, and you know, to, to the extent, like, if you imagine a Star Wars without that, you get, I mean, you know, the absence of Natalie Portman, Hayden Christensen chemistry was one of the 17,000 different things that killed the prequels. And if you contrast Rey's relationship with Kylo, with her interactions with Finn, who is sort of dead weight as a character in in the current, the current movies... Um, I mean, if you want to see what two actors who don't have sexual chemistry look like, mm. look at Ray, Ray and Finn interacting with one another. And the friends, I mean, it, the well, friend look, zone well, look is this brutal. is something you know, sexual chemistry. <laughs> it's impossible to prove authoritatively that any two actors have sexual chemistry with each other. But I think it's pretty obvious um, that that Ridley and Driver do, and it's totally. I mean, the appeal of you know working together with him which is what the direction the movie should yeah. have gone in is that you know she she and he should have joined together into and actually created a new sort of ambiguous power um and and, and i mean that would have been an actual like people talk about the last jedi as if it was radical but in the end it returns to the same you know empire rebellion you know, good guy, bad guys dynamic. If there the was movie had been actually really radical, yeah. it would have been. It would have turned at that moment. In the same way, I mean, my view of the of the Force Awakens is, if I had been J.J. Abrams, you could have kept that whole script, and you would have just, if you'd had the mission fail at the end. So everyone's expecting. You're like, oh, okay, this is just like a New Hope, um, and they're just going to blow up the base. But then, what if they'd failed, and the rebel base had been destroyed instead? 
That would have but actually didn't, didn't been a really every, interesting. Isn't the Last Jedi about failure though? Because it does seem that the, the the resistance is crushed, and then they are diminished again in the end by having to. to but it's leave but and it's flee a failure in a re, in a re, it's a repeat of Empire. It's like mm-hmm. you know, oh, okay, yeah. it's another trilogy where you have you blow up the Death Star in the first movie. Excuse yeah. me, Star Killer Base. You know, we, we don't and talk we, about right. it, right? And then in the second <laughs> movie, you have the Empire is winning, and then in the third movie, you know, you just what what I was and I guess since we're going to get more movies we'll continue to look for our dramatic choices that shake off the sense that you know well we 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 never want to do the prequels again so we're just going to stick to the basic script of the original trilogy and I think for all that Johnson you know all the risks he did take in The Last Jedi in the end the movie is doomed by its conservatism as much by its sort of woke experiments. So let's talk about the personal and the political. Um, this this sort of takes me back to your your pieces that you wrote in 2014, 2015, before the new trilogy began. Mm-hmm. Um, you were in a dialogue with Alyssa Rosenberg about what made Star Wars watchable, what made it successful. And she seemed to take a point of view that what was lacking in Star Wars was a serious exploration of political ideologies by the, uh, the rebellion, by the empire. What do they really believe in? And you seem to make the counter-argument that why Star Wars is successful is because the, the political is sort of a backdrop to the personal and that the relationships come first. Am I reading that, that debate correctly? I mean, it was like four years ago, so I can't, I can't guarantee <laughs> that, that I'm reading but it correctly. But you don't ever change your views. I never change my views. <laughs> um, but it was so many Star Wars movies ago. But yeah, I, I think that that's right, that the, you know, that the, the essential appeal of the Star Wars movies is that it is like, you know, like a sh- one of Shakespeare's histories. It's a case where politics is embodied in a family, basically. It's embodied in the Skywalker family. Um, and the choices they make are sort of what set the political drama in motion. Um, and this sort of taps into a very you know, a what is a deep and sort of primal human association between the politics and family, which is why, you know, even in our democratic politics, you end up with political dynasties and people worshiping the Kennedys and the Clintons coming back and people imagining Ivanka Trump as, as a candidate someday and so on. I mean, I think it's it's very natural for people to sort of pour political identity into not just tribal loyalty, but particular sort of family Dynamics, and that's that is what Star Wars does. Um, and the, I mean, the prequels. You know what what you what you would say about the prequels is that now that we've seen, you know, what J.J. Abrams does and what Disney does with the movies, you can appreciate the prequels a little more because they do. Lucas is in the prequels trying to do. He's failing, but he's trying to do what Alyssa said she wanted, right, and sort of tell mm-hmm. a story that isn't just family dynamics it's like really getting right what is the political science of a republic's decline into an empire what does that look like we never believed the relationships that were in the forefront we could never really buy that that padme and anakin had a real sort of relationship that you know right was deep and layered and then they have the one conversation where she's like I think we're on the wrong side. Have you ever considered that? And it's like the conversation. We might be the baddies. <laughs> no, that's it's a de- as that's as deep as the personal goes. Well, and the well, and the political never goes deep either. It's I mean, it's people talking in sort of wooden dialogue about trade routes and so on. Whereas real political ideology is a much you know I mean I mean the only the, the person in the prequels who sort of knows what he's doing is Ian McDiarmid as as Palpatine, and that he's sort so of true. his character is as <laughs> you know like Kylo Ren if you 
you sort of he is he's a great character sort of marooned in a movie movies that don't serve him well but he imbues his dialogue with i think what lucas was actually going for to kind of wrap up here i I know you're you're busy while you're here at freedom fest but kind of to to put in juxtaposition eh, juxtaposition your view to rosenberg's could you sort of frame the way that you view the central political question of Star Wars. You had, you had sort of quoted Lenin in this regard, the, the who and whom principle. Um, who rules and who doesn't? And is that in, in opposition to the way that Rosenberg has sort of framed uh, the, polo- the politics of Star Wars? I'm not sure. I haven't thought about this argument in a long time. I mean, I, I think that, look, the, the, the ultimate dynamic of Star Wars is a sort of, you know, the, the political question that they want to explore is sort of order or order versus liberty, right, basically. That's, that's sort of the core political question. And then it's just sort of, it's, it's you know, sort of translated into these, these family dynamics that are about sort of good and evil and temptation and so on. But the difference between what the Republic represents or what the Resistance represents and what the Empire represents is a sort of... You know, it's sort of yeah. It's 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 Augustus versus Cato in the yeah. Roman Empire. It's you know, are we trying to sort of preserve liberties, or is it necessary to bring order to the galaxy? And I think, you know, I mean, Lucas is when Lucas made the movies, he had in mind sort of you know, he had the Vietnam War in mind, and he had sort of anti-colonial stuff and so on. But the story he ended up telling is a kind of you know, late Roman. Late, late Republic, early Empire kind of story. Um, and in that sense, it's part of what is interesting about it um, is that, you know, the, the Empire is, they're sort of ostentatiously evil in various ways, and they're sort of, you know, they have stormtroopers, and I mean, they're, you know, they're sort of a Nazi side to them. Um, but I don't think... You know, the, the sort of slightly tongue-in-cheek cases for the Empire that Sonny Bunch and other people make also come, they, they come from the same place. Well, well I think they're interestingly, I'm, I'm totally overreading this now, but I think they're interestingly Please. connected to our own political moment where, you know, one of the questions that hangs over lots of debates in our own society is, is our republic sort of spent and is order kind of the best that we can do? And that's a question that totally hangs over the Trump phenomenon in Republican politics. Um, it's a question that hangs over sort of, you know, the appeal of sort of liberal technocrats and the EU, you know, versus the messiness of populism. Um, and in that sense, I think it's not surprising that, you know, even though the empire is sort of coded as evil, people, you know, end up sort of wanting to make the case for it. Um, because, there, you know, there are moments when sort of republics collapse and order is better than chaos, right? Um, argu- so. Arguably, uh, maybe not. But like if you compare the Rome I've of Augustus... I've never been much of an ANCAP. So, right, the know. Rome of Augustus to <laughs> the endless civil wars that preceded. And so there's, yeah, I think there's a question hanging over our own era about like where we are in sort of the trajectory of the republic that then gets played out in sort of the, the strange appeal of the dark side and the empire. Ross, you are not opposed to Star Wars conspiracy theories and fan theories. Do you have any that you particularly? Oh yeah, like? the, the best one is Darth is Darth Jar Jar. Brings brings meaning, right? To, oh yeah, no no, it's <laughs> it's it's I'm 
50% convinced. I mean, I assume your listener are your listeners familiar with the Darth Jar Jar? Yeah, Darth Jar Jar is a thing. I, I'm sure most people know about it, but it is uh, it is sort it's, of like the InfoWars level theory it's of the, Star Wars. The idea is that basically Jar Jar Binks was conceived by George Lucas as a kind of Yoda of the dark side. Um, and that um, that he's sort of introduced as a ridiculous, you know, sort of silly character. Um, but in fact, he is supposed to be a sort of dark side adept who is connected to Palpatine in some sense. And that this is clear if you do a close reading mm-hmm. of The Phantom Menace and that Lucas was so sort of taken aback by the backlash against Binks that he abandoned the idea. And that's why certain feet, like sort of Jar Jar is sort of hanging around as this extraneous character who somehow randomly brings down the Republic by telling people to vote for Palpatine and so on. Um, why That that was meant to be much more developed and Lucas chickened out. And you can go online and Google it and read all the screen caps where it, it, basically the idea is that like, Jar Jar use his floppy hand motions are sometimes like using sort of using force <laughs> stuff and there's like a sort of drunken master fighting style yeah. that he has and you know it's probably not you res- true you respect but it's the art of this though. I I, yeah. I respect it and it would make the prequels much better if it was true so I I wish it well right and the idea the idea is that Count Dooku right is is sort of invented by Lucas yeah. to fill the role that Jar Jar was supposed to fill Um, And I mean, you know, it says if even if this were true, it says something terrible about Lucas that he conceived this character and couldn't dial it back. So he was, you know, one level less ridiculous and offensive and make it work. But even so, in conception, it's brilliant. And it's why I wanted Supreme Leader Snoke to be revealed as Jar Jar Binks. Without having the option of stopping the current production of movies and you going back and making them yourself, what would you like to see happen next in the Star Wars universe under the reign of Disney? Oh, God. I mean, I, given where they've ended, the, the end point of The Last Jedi is just really, really annoying, and I don't know exactly where I would go from there. I mean, I, I think my view is that in the... That Certainly, Lando should be brought back, which I guess they're tentatively yeah, I think thinking that's, that's about out doing. There, yeah. I, I think I think that my view was that if you'd had a sort of republic, a sort of post-Empire Republic, where Lando, Leia, and Han can, com- comprised a sort of basically a love triangle in the older generation, yeah. and then you produced some sort of love triangle in the younger generation, that that would have been a really smart direction for them to go in, and by ditching Lando. You know, they remove. I mean, I, I think Lando is a really good character, and his loss. I liked Glover's performance in the otherwise totally forgettable too. solo. Um, so, at the very least, bringing him back. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, one thing that was sort of interesting in The Last Jedi was the, again, the sort of otherwise terrible Benicio del Toro character sort of raises the idea that, like, the Empire and the Republic are fighting these endless battles and the rest of the galaxy has sort of moved on. It's like, oh, you know, we fund your silly space wars out there. (laughs) And I think, you know, that's an interesting political idea and sort of could be explored. I I think if you're going to have a landscape where the Empire doesn't get more complicated, right, where you don't develop a certain perverse rooting for the empire sentiment which Ren sort of points to but they never go there if you don't do that then you need some other force in the story because otherwise it's just 
the same battle over and over again. You need some third force to enter the story for it to be interesting. And so I guess some combination, maybe maybe Lando can emerge as the leader of that, of a sort of third faction. I just imagine him popping. I just imagine it being a very empty cameo. Oh yeah, he'll pop. I, It'll I, be fan service. He'll be running, uh, you know, some business somewhere. So it's going to be so. a, a reuniting with Neen Nub, and that will be about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. I mean, the solo experience is going to have some effect on the movies they choose to make, but I don't know what that effect will be. You think they learned a good lesson with that movie? A worthy one? I, I mean, it wasn't a ter- like it's. It wasn't a terrible movie. It wasn't terrible at all. It wasn't terrible. But I would, I'll, you know, we have to be objective about the market failure. And I, I yeah. wonder, I wonder if they finally were like, okay, maybe this isn't what people are wanting um, out of these. Yes, spin-offs I, I think, I think they can at least the the lesson that they should learn is that just trying to take, you know, two lines of dialogue in a beloved original movie and spin it into a sort of fill in the past movie is not like if it kills the Boba Fett movie that's a good thing it is you know so we'll see all right Ross Douth at New York Times thank you so much for coming on absolutely this was fun thank you for having me all right, and that's it for our conversation with Ross Douthit of the New York Times. You can find him on Twitter at DouthitNYT and drop into his mentions on Star Wars and our politics. I'm sure there will be plenty of opportunities for you to do that. We will be back the week after next with regularly scheduled programming for Beltway Banthas, and we hope you'll tune in for that and consider supporting us on Patreon. You can find out more about what we offer patrons of the show at www.patreon.com slash Beltway Banthas. Spoiler, people who give to Beltway Banthas will be getting an I Am the Senate Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer mug here in the mail in the next month. So we're very excited about giving that out to supporters of the show. With that, that is the end of another episode of Beltway Banthas. I have been your host, Stephen Kent, and we'll be back the week after next with more. Until then, may the force be with you, always.